I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Uh, and we've got uh, Mike Mayock saying bubble butt uh, three different times. This is the press box. Like when they're deciding to draft a player, is that what they talk about? Well, like Gruden's like, oh, he's yes. a football player. And Mayock's like, no, no, this guy's got a bubble yeah. butt. Or the best thing in the world for them would be have both. <laughs> With Grady and Bischoff. Like, you're not only a football player, but you have a bubble butt and you don't play your groin. I mean, if you can get that trifecta, then you've got something. On ESPN Las Vegas. The bubble butt, who knows what position he played, and um, and don't play your groin. If they could have that, they could, I mean, they could win the division if you have a bunch of those guys. Bunch of bubble butt football players. Yes, from Clemson. It's in 1100, 100.9 FM. You got to have them Clemson. That's the key. Welcome to Friday. It's Ed, Tyler, and Jared. Let's get it going. The first bite. Did John Gruden stress out his own players? I don't want to ask you about this because you're going to throw to the sound. Is this what you say after you win? I think so. Here if you is... lost 34-24 with Josh <laughs> Jacobs being saying this this week. Here is Josh Jacobs. This was uh, on Wednesday of this week. The sideline was just so... It was like it wasn't no anxiety, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like it was weird. It was like it was like everybody was calm. You ain't have somebody cussing at you, uh, going crazy at the refs, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> None of that. It was just like okay, something bad happened. He was like okay, I'm not harping on you. He was like all right, next play, next play. And I feel like the guys, we all kind of motivated each other. A lot of you see a lot of defensive guys of standing up office guys jumping off the bench when the defense making plays and stuff. And I was like, that's the right type of energy that we needed. Um, so I mean, I, I loved it. Okay, so maybe why weren't you doing that before? Well, maybe if they lose 34 to 13, there would have been stress and anxiety yeah. on the sideline. And you're telling me the games before <laughs> the defense and offense weren't ever standing up to like and you know encourage who's on the field? No, Derek Carr was too busy getting yelled at by John uh, Gruden, apparently. <laughs> Paul Gutierrez tweeted, he also tweeted that he was laughing when he was saying it. Um I don't I think when you win 34-24 and everything that had happened the previous week with Gruden and you'd lost to Chicago and the whole email situation, finding success kind of leads to these quotes. You know, I, I look, was Gruden intense? Probably. You're playing football in the NFL, so this just in, guys get intense. But I read that. I'm like, okay. I don't know. It, after 34-24, kind of seemed that's what, that's what you hear. So – all right, if we go off the assumption here that it is, hey, they won a game and it's not really anything different or not that big of a deal, what do you make of him, Josh Jacobs, saying it, though? Like, what do you make of Josh? Like, because Josh Jacobs sounds like he believes it. Josh Jacobs sounds like he believes the sideline was a better place to be with John Gruden not there anymore. Yeah. Adam Hill asked the question. I was not there. I didn't know specifically exactly how he phrased the question or what he specifically asked. It's interesting, yes. I mean, do I think there's some truth to it in terms of screaming, uh, going crazy at refs? We've seen John Gruden on the sideline. Yeah, I I, I see that. I just kind of – I don't want to jump to, hey – John Gruden, you know, ruined his team. Or John Gruden, if he wasn't that way, they would have been better. I mean, it's the NFL. It's a highly, highly intense sideline at all times. You see coaches, you know, storming up and down the sidelines with their with their headsets on when they don't like that something that happens. But if you're saying there was a – but here's the thing, Tyler. Was there a sense of relief in everyone just because they had been passed the emails and the decision had been made and they could play a little looser, more so than he's taking shots at John Gruden? And they took a fairly – Big lead and and con- yeah. I mean, they controlled that game from start to finish. There weren't very many 
For an NFL game, there were very, very many, stressful moments. Right. There, it wasn't like a high tension game, right. By any means. Now, on the flip side, if they're playing the Eagles and if they're down twenty to three or something like let's that, let's see how. Let's see what and, they're like. Right. And Rich Pasacci is like, well, I don't know how to talk to the booth. I can't figure out the headset. <laughs> I can't burp on my own. Right. We're gonna be like, well, he's not intense enough to be coaching <laughs> on an NFL sideline. So yes, the the result of the game helps frame this quite a bit. Uh, because if this is right, because like, it's a perfect example. If the Raiders had lost to the Broncos, if they had lost like by two touchdowns or something and Rich Passaccia is giving quotes about, well, I couldn't figure out how to turn the headset on and off. We'd be like, what the hell's going on here? I mean, oh. I, I honestly would be a little happy. That it's like, <laughs> all right, what are we discussing for the next two days? A grown man couldn't figure out <laughs> a, th- a thing that had two buttons. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a, the win loss, the result absolutely frames the narrative afterwards because Rich Passaccia it comes it's like kind of charming it's kind of like oh yeah right. because he couldn't Everyone figure it laughed out. about it but again had they lost by multiple scores we would have been like what the hell they put a guy in charge that can't work a headset but because they, they put won, my grandfather right. in charge well because they won we can turn back and look look how calm everybody was look how fun everybody yeah, look had how on good the and they, they had Henry Ruggs mic'd up and he's yucking it up with Greg Olson on the sideline mm-hmm. again Easy to do when you're far ahead and everything's working and he's calling plays and they're advancing the ball and everyone's getting involved and the Joker's scoring. Like, that's easy to do when those things happen. You're right. If Philly somehow takes a big lead this week, let's see if anyone's yucking up in the sidelines when they're mic'd up with Greg Olson. (laughs) Uh, All right. They're playing the Eagles. Bye week is after this. Are they going 5-2 and headed into the bye week? 5-2 and is a very good record. Yeah. You think they're doing it? I think they're going five and two. I think they're going five and two. Jared does not agree. So, okay. (laughs) They're better than the Philadelphia Eagles. The game is at home. But this feels like the exact type of game they have lost in the past when we have been like. No, that's that's true. Right. When we have been like, oh, they're in position to make the playoffs. This is a win. This is a team they should beat. And they lose the game. Like. It's at home. Usually they do this on the road, but like when they lost to the Falcons last year, when they lost to the Jets two years ago, when they lose 38 to three, and it's just like, what in the hell happened? This kind of feels like that game where it's like, yep, they absolutely can. And to be honest with you, the next one does too. They get a bye week and then they go to New York to play the Giants. They're five and two. That's that's two games in a row where it feels like, hey, in the the past. Yeah, that's a game that they inexplicably lose and it starts some trail of, failures that leads to them missing the playoffs. So I think they're better than Philadelphia, but based on the last few years, I don't have any confidence. They actually beat the teams. They're better than who will you pick? I don't know. I haven't decided yet. We'll do that. Well, I'll figure it out Uh, over the next couple of hours. Is it possible to pick that the Eagles offense, no player except Jalen Hurts scores a touchdown? Oh, I thought you were going to say it has a run or has a rush. That, might that actually might happen as well. <laughs> actually, yes, there's a good chance that happens. So, all right, they've played. Who's one... the third guy in the cornerback rotation? Don't know. Target him. <laughs> <laughs> they have played Lamar Jackson, uh, the best rushing quarterback in the NFL this year, and they beat the Ravens. They actually forced two fumbles against Lamar Jackson in that game. How do you think they fare against Jalen Hurts? Mm. He's he's different. Um We'll see how the defensive line plays. That's the big, you know, that's the big, uh, uh, what they're now praising and celebrating Gus Bradley yesterday and the edge rushers and three top 50 edge rushers and how good they're playing, how well they're playing. 
but he's a different type of runner, I think. And like you know, you and Jared just said, uh, he might lead them in rushing attempts. So I want to say they'll be okay against him, but you get to the second level, I'm not so sure. I I think they're going to win the game, and you're exactly right because I've covered you know most of, if not all, of the total collapses in the last three years. <laughs> Um, I still think I'm going to pick them. I think they'll be okay against him because I think going in, correct me if I'm wrong, you probably know more about him than you do Lamar Jackson in terms of broken down plays and when Lamar Jackson can get you. Lamar Jackson's a better passer. So this guy, you know what's going to happen more so with Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson can surprise you a lot more than this guy. So I think they'll be okay against him. So my expectation, and this is probably every time I've watched Jalen Hurts play, there are going to be some terrific plays and there are going to be some absolutely horrid plays from Jalen hurts because he, he has all of the physical tools to be like the Lamar Jackson or the Josh Allen type of quarterback in the NFL. But the accuracy is just not there when he's throwing the ball down the field. So there's listen, he's going to make some plays. He's going to juke Jonathan He's Abram break out and some, have sure. like a 27 yard run. And it's going to be like, wow, Raiders yeah. got no chance to stop that guy. And he'll probably hit some deep passes where he scrambles around for a couple extra seconds and, and hits somebody deep down the field for 30, 40 yard gain. But then he'll have a tight end wide open for 15 yards over the middle and he'll sail it too high. And yeah. uh, Trayvon Merrick might pick it off if right. he's in the right position. Like I think it's a high variance quarterback that, there's going to be some great plays and there's going to be some pretty horrific plays. The key for the Raiders is going to be capitalizing on those really bad Jalen hurts plays. When he airmails a throw, do you pick it off or does it fall for an incompletion and they get another snap to pick up the first down, right? When he is running and you've got a chance to bring him down, do you do that and maybe force a fumble like they did against Lamar Jackson or does he break a tackle or juke a guy and pick up an extra 12 yards or something like that? That's going to be the key is can they take advantage of Jalen Hurts when he has a bad play? Because if listen, if Jalen Hurts is inaccurate but just has a lot of incompletions, the, the Eagles are going to have a legit shot. But if Jalen Hurts is inaccurate and the Raiders walk away with three picks, Raiders are winning the game easily. You guys can help me out. Jared uh, and Tyler can help me out on our props this week. Jalen Hurts over under eight and a half rushing attempts. I feel like that's over. I do too. But I also I feel like the Eagles are going to walk in here and because they've been criticized the last few games because like Miles Sanders will have like one carry at halftime. They, and... <laughs> they never run their best <laughs> running back. And so I feel like there might be a level of, well, we need to do this to just sort of appease people. Yeah, appease people and stop the talking. But you're also scrambling and yeah. you know, he can rush. I, I just think, I, don't know, they, I feel okay. like it's over. He's He's gone. I looked him up. He hasn't had a game with fewer, but they're right at nine and ten. So you're eight and a half. You'd have to get to nine. That and he's and he's right. It'd be one thing if he was thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Like oh, well, yeah. he's gonna get that many. But eight and a half is kind of right on his so number. Here's here's I say it goes over. Raiders you tend to get good pressure on the quarterbacks. They've done a good job at that. So he's going to try to get out of it. You there. get pressure. He scrambles. He takes right. off and and tries to pick things up. Right. You know, four or five times a game, and they call five designed right. quarterback runs or something like that over the, yeah, I think, I think okay. there's a good chance. That's what I thought it ends up going over eight and a half. That's what I thought. So especially if they are, if the Eagles are behind, like if we get third quarter and they're down 10 points or something and they've got to be like, Hey, we got to throw it some more here. We yeah. got to open up the offense. He'll probably scramble a lot more yeah. in those situations. If they Eagles are ahead, 
then he's he might probably just be a, turning around and handing the ball right, off. He's I'm probably like, a little bit for the safer. First time all yeah. year. That's probably a big issue with the Eagles. They're never ahead, right? Like, no, no. <laughs> you can't give Miles Sanders 21 I, carries when you're not winning. I don't know what game it was. He threw three balls to Devonta Smith, like quick outs, where he didn't come close. Oh yeah, it, it was like staggering. Like I'm not talking 15 years, 15 yards down the field. I'm talking step back, try to get him the ball so he can do something on the ground. And they weren't even close. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that is amazing how bad those throws are. And but he's again, all the tools are there for him. Like he, the the tool, the skill set he has, he could absolutely be an awesome quarterback. There's just the accuracy is it seems like it's non-existent at times. Brutal. Or yeah, Jalen Hurts. So see, you get get more good than bad, Jalen Hurts, and the Eagles have a legitimate shot. Coming up next, I don't think UNLV's ever gonna win. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. Empty backfield from the 11-yard line on third and three. Friel grabs the snap. Back to throw. Looking. He's slammed and he's tackled. That's got to be a targeting call, right? No flags. They can't stop the clock. Two seconds. One second. That's it. Freel try to go back under center, but the game appears to be over. What a way to end it. The final score, San Jose State 27 and UNLV 20. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. UNLV has now lost four straight one-possession games Mm. for a program that has now uh, extended its streak to 13 games without a win under Marcus Arroyo. They have had four chances in the last four games to get one, and they have yet to do it. How many years does he have left on his contract? Four more. Um, How many days has it been? Six eighty. Today is six ninety one. Today's six ninety one since they last won a football game. Is anyone kind of morbidly curious to see how long he can keep this up? Listen, the last two games might be the two most winnable on the schedule. I mean, New Mexico still is on the schedule, but it's a road. But game. it's a road game. Um, they're not beating Nevada. Hawaii's not that good, so they could beat them. They're not beating San Diego State, and they go to Air Force. I wouldn't expect them to win on no. the road against Air Force. Air Force is 6-1, and one, and yeah. they're favorite against San Diego City, who's like 22nd in the country, so yeah. I don't think they're going to Air Force and winning. So Nevada's probably going to crush them next week. Uh, then they've got two games, New Mexico and Hawaii, that they could potentially win those. But uh, that's that's kind of it. Those are your last two shots, uh, real shots, at getting a win. Here's, here's the problem with yesterday's game. Marcus Arroyo lost the game for UNLV. There's no question about it. That was a one-possession game. That was a winnable game. That was a close game, and Marcus Arroyo coach scared. Three different things he did in that game that are just, it's like unbelievable you look back at it. First and foremost, into the first half, UNLV gets the ball with a minute seven on the clock, one timeout on their own 25-yard line. Their kicker, earlier in the half, just hit a 53-yard field goal. So you need about 35, 40 yards to get into field goal Legitimate chance. Yeah, with a minute seven left. So we're talking three completions somewhat down the field, and you're into field goal range for your kicker. Marcus Arroyo lines up, hands the ball off to Charles Williams. He picks up like five or six yards, runs the clock down as far as he can before giving it to Charles Williams again. Charles Williams gets the first down but ran out of bounds. There's 24 seconds left. 
again, hands it off to Charles Williams, who fumbles. San Jose State recovers, 16 seconds left. They throw a shot to the end zone, get tackled at the one. They score on the next play. And instead of it being 17-6 to or UNLV trying to score and adding points, San Jose State gets a touchdown out of nowhere. 17-13 at half. That is the second week in a row where Marcus Arroyo has gotten the ball with roughly a minute to go at the end of the first half and a chance to go down the field and put points on the board, and he has elected to sit on it. He has chosen to not try to score, and it's ridiculous because he is playing four straight weeks, one possession games, and he does not try to score when he has an opportunity. That's the difference in a lot of these games. Take advantage of every opportunity you have to score, and he will not do it. He's afraid. Well, what do you have to risk? (laughs) Exactly. I'd be throwing. I'd be throwing on every every down. You're with 0 and right. 13. The announcers in the game last night were like, "If there's any time to be aggressive, it's when you're 0 yeah. and 6. You're not going to lose anything." <laughs> and other he, than another game, right? And he paid the biggest price because Charles Williams fumbled. He, that what he was trying to avoid was a turnover, and they still turned yeah. it over anyways. Like he has got to be aggressive in that situation, and he's done it two weeks in a row in games they end up losing by one possession. Also. A fourth and one at the San Jose State 23-yard line in a tie game in the fourth quarter. He elects to kick the field goal. It gets blocked. It's not his fault the field goal got blocked. But San Jose State went down and scored a touchdown. It is his fault he did not go for it on fourth and one. Right. Because you need one yard. Your offense is playing actually well in this game. Cameron Friel had a good game. Yes. And he was, again, coaching scared. He was afraid to go for it on fourth and one. He is way too conservative. And then the last thing that is, I don't even know how to describe this, but UNLV got the ball with seven minutes and seven seconds for the down by seven. They ran out of time. That game did not end on a turnover. That game did not end because it was fourth down and they didn't convert. They ran out of time. They got the ball with seven minutes and seven seconds left, and they ran out of time on the 11-yard line. That is inexcusable. Well, it's almost impossible. Yes, and that is three instances where the players in that game were good enough to beat San Jose State. They played well enough to beat San Jose State. The coaching failed them. The in-game coaching decisions lost UNLV a game yesterday, and and they're, they're unacceptable decisions. You're 0-6. There is zero reason to be conservative. There is no reason to coach scared. Go win a damn game. I'm with you. And and the and the funny thing, well, not the funny thing is, a much better word is ironic. The ironic thing is when he was hired, all we heard about was he's the offensive guy. He's the guy from Oregon. More and more I'm thinking, not that this is breaking any news, that Oregon has incredible athletes <laughs> <laughs> because they – it seems like Oregon did stuff offensively in spite of him, right? I Look, mean, if this is what you're getting offensively, Justin Herbert's better then, in the NFL. Than I mean, he was Justin. In the Pac-12. Oh, please, please, don't tell me about Justin Herbert <laughs> and him again. Oh, forget about it. Um, he had Justin Herbert. I, I, we all get it. You, you, you coached on a staff that Justin Herbert was like this incredible quarterback, and I was, yeah. you know, an incredible quarterback in the NFL. We get that, but it's more and more. And look. Did I watch Oregon on a weekly basis when he was a coordinator? No, I did not. I'm just saying, if you see him coach offensive now, you have to go back and say, boy, again, Oregon's blessed with offensive players every year. They're blessed with athletes every year. So whoever the coordinator is, he has a pretty good job in this country to be the coordinator of that team with all those athletes at that school. But more and more you see this team, you're like, boy, he must have really had some athletes at that school. I mean, Herbert is better in the NFL than he was in the Pac-12. He's better at a higher level. 
getting away from Marcus Arroyo. And I actually thought last night the offense looked good, like as far as like how the offense I looked. I thought Cameron like, Friel looked yeah. really good. And like there, were, there are open receivers down the field, and that's I think you give credit to the coaching staff, the game plan, and the play calling if there are open receivers down the field. So like I thought offensively they were generally fine. Arroyo was afraid of it, though. He was afraid of his offense. He's terrified to put his offense in a situation to do something good. He's horrified of it, and he's showing it week after week when he won't go forward on a fourth and short. He's afraid to try to score with a minute left in the first half. It's just he's coaching scared, and it's costing his team games because they keep losing these one-possession games. He's coaching to keep the scoreboard as pretty as possible. He's coaching because, well, we're up 17 to 6, and I'm happy with that lead going into halftime. Instead of thinking it's 17 to 6, wouldn't it be nice if it was 20 or 24 to 6, right? He doesn't think that. He thinks, well, I'm going to be happy with 17 to 6, even though we have seen week after week his team is capable of blowing it. They are capable of blowing it. And here's the other part that's just unbelievable. He's the third highest paid coach in this conference. Yeah. He's the highest paid coach in the history. Of UNLV, of UNLV Athletics. Highest paid coach in the history of UNLV and Nevada Athletics. Third highest in this conference, and he's been horrible. He has cost his team multiple games. Like, you go back, he's done it for, first off, two weeks in a row into the first half. He refuses to try to go score, and they lose a one-possession game. That's him costing his team games. Eastern Washington, first game of the year, his decision on who won the quarterback battle cost him a win. If Doug Brumfield starts that game, they beat Eastern Washington. His decisions, they, like... They might be a three or four win football team if they had a better head coach. And he's just not good. He's not good enough. Have you come to the conclusion that Cameron Friel is better than Doug Brumfield at this point? No. no. Oh, you haven't? No. I mean, Friel was better last night. I thought Cameron Friel was good last night. And I'm just saying that for the reason of, because we say it every week, who's healthy, who's healthy, who's healthy. I'd rather him just make the decision that this is my quarterback and we're going forward. And if you had to do that... I might go with Cameron Friel. He's the younger kid, and I, I saw him. I, I thought he was really good last night. Yeah, I he really was. Did. But I the, okay. The biggest problem with Cameron Friel, and he's gotten better at this. He takes sacks, and you saw it on the last play of the game. He had no idea that guy was coming off well, the, on the blitz. No, and he didn't. He obviously didn't recognize. Right, him. And he did not recognize. He him. he takes. He, he was much better at the last two games, but he takes a lot of sacks. Like he, if he's yeah. in the pocket, there's. There's a lot of sacks coming, and Doug Brumfield doesn't take them. His pocket awareness is significantly better. And listen, it only takes one or two in a game to completely change it. And you saw last night, UNLV had a chance to tie it from the 11-yard line. And they, now granted, some of that's on the offensive line. Some of that's probably on the coaching staff, too, for not helping Cameron Friel realize that guy was coming on a blitz. But that guy comes on an uncontested blitz, and it wasn't even his blind side. It was straight into the side, his face, like Doug Brumfield's looking at it you got to realize that and at least be able to throw it away so you have another shot to throw it into the end zone. Do you guys believe that people around the globe are agreeing with us right now? I just got to call my cell phone, and the ID was Russia. Oh. <laughs> Russia is also not happy. Call our voicemail. <laughs> exactly. was also not happy with how the game is being called over there at UNLV. Somebody in Russia had UNLV plus five and is <laughs> just furious. Huge bad beat. Oh, it's terrible. Coming up next, Austin Gale joins the show. Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Keenum takes the snap. He's going to throw. He's throwing for Stanton. Touchdown! Left corner of the end zone! You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. 
Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Austin Gale. Austin, I, I have a correction for Pro Football Focus. You guys have Johnny Stanton listed as a halfback. I need him in the fullback ranking so we can say he's like the number one fullback in the league. You know what? That's on me. Honestly, that's on me. I'll get on this right after you. Um, I am curious what, like, the Browns are four and three. They've got a legitimate shot to make the playoffs, but they have a significant injury. Baker Mayfield is out. How, like, what would you, what's your thought process in terms of how long they can survive without Baker Mayfield in case Keenum in there and how quickly they should be rushing Baker Mayfield back, given that if, as, much, as many games as he misses might be what cost them a playoff spot in the end? So I would argue that Vegas, you know, properly corrected the spread with Baker Mayfield hurt. You saw that go from Browns favored by three down to Browns favored by one and a half at home. I think you could argue over Case Keenum, Baker Mayfield against the spread is one and a half to two and a half points better than Case Keenum. And I think in every game they play this year, that's going to be a factor. You're going to be one and a half to two and a half points worse than you would be with Baker Mayfield. Now, that's not a lot when you compare that around the league. You know, you compare, you, you lose Mahomes, it's probably about an eight-point difference. You lose Aaron Rodgers, it's probably about an eight-point difference. With Baker to Keenum, because of, you know, the success Keenum has had and, honestly, the success of the offensive line in Stefanski, it's not as big of a drop-off. Now, knowing Baker Mayfield and knowing the reports we've seen, he is going to do everything in his power to get on the football field. I think so much that it's more likely Baker Mayfield pushes his way back onto the field and then re-injures himself to the point where he can't come back <laughs> before he makes the decision to have surgery and miss the rest of the season. Bronco fans uh, will probably laugh at this, and maybe someone in the studio will as well. I am looking at him right now. But uh, quad, hamstring injuries, concussions. Uh, Fangio said last night, I did not consider benching Teddy Bridgewater for Drew Locke. What would your thoughts be right now, given Teddy Bridgewater's injuries? You know, I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is the reason they lost that football game. It was the defense. You know, I think Teddy Bridgewater did not have a good first half. Obviously, that interception to John Johnson was horrendous. But still played well in the second half. I thought he had a handful of really nice throws down the football field. The bigger issue is the defense. You know, Alexander Johnson and Josie Jewell, the two starting linebackers for the Broncos, are both out for the season. They started two guys that were not ready. Both earned sub-31.0 PFF grades, missed a ton of tackles, and gave up a ton of yards to Ernest Johnson, Demetrius Felton, etc. Like, this defense is a bigger concern, specifically in the front seven. I don't think they're going to they, – without those two linebackers, and if they don't make changes, they're going to have a bottom-five run defense in the NFL. And, you know, running the ball doesn't matter as much as throwing and all that stuff. But if it's as easy as it was last night, without the Browns' top two running backs and without their left tackle – that's a huge concern. I do think that the, Bron the Broncos' defense is in a bigger hurt because of those injuries to Johnson and Josie Jewell. So, Dearness Johnson was a pretty good example for the uh, running back value in the NFL. But I am curious. We've seen this, and we've seen it for a couple of years now, and it seems incredible, and it seems like it's going to end eventually, but it doesn't. Derrick Henry keeps being unbelievable. What do you do with Derrick Henry when it comes to the conversation of running back value in the NFL? I mean, he is the most valuable running back in the NFL. It's not even close. And I think running back value now, where the league is trending, is so much – the valuable running backs are the ones you can give a lot of carries. You know, Derrick Henry, through six weeks, has 51 more carries than any other running back. That's <laughs> nearly 10 more carries per game. That's absurd. That alone makes him more valuable, regardless of whether he's gaining as many yards as he is in the breaking tackles. Like, he is a true unicorn at the position. He is – you know, Adrian Peterson levels, Marshawn Lynch levels, 
you go back to Steven Jackson, where like you can give him 25, 30 carries a game, and it doesn't significantly hinder your offense. That makes him the most valuable running back. Now, the most valuable running back in the NFL is not more valuable than the left tackle, wide receiver, quarterback, corner. But it is still obviously a difference maker when you have a league that has more average running backs, guys that aren't separating themselves among the pack. Titans are four and two, uh, kind of surprising four and two. Do you think they can beat Kansas City this weekend? Absolutely. I love that, that line at plus five and a half. I think Tennessee is a really good football team, and the Chiefs have the worst defense in the NFL. They're not ready for Derrick Henry. Chris Jones might not play in this game. Without Chris Jones, this is a bottom five defensive line in the NFL. They have very young linebackers, and their secondary struggles to tackle. This is going to be very difficult for the Kansas City Chiefs to hold the Tennessee Titans to you know, fewer than 20, 30 points. Now, the problem is, is, on the other side of the ball, they have Pat Mahomes. That's why they're favored by five and a half. I think it should be a shootout. Uh, we said earlier this is sort of where whether it's five and two or six and two the Raiders start to fall and usually they do it against teams they can beat. Philly this week they're kind of getting the three I believe three and a half somewhere around town because they're at home. Uh, how do you see this one and what do they have to do? What can Jalen Hurts do to make a difference in terms of besides running the football, which I assume they're going to be ready for? Yeah, I think this is one of my favorite bets of the weekend. I do really like the Raiders at minus three. I think I would. Stay away from it at three and a half to avoid the hook there over the key number. But I do like the Las Vegas Raiders at minus three. The Eagles have struggled on both sides of the ball this year, and it's also a very conservative offense. If you can stop the run up front, you should be able to limit Jalen Hurts in this passing attack. Now, the games that they've won, they've gotten away with a very conservative passing attack, winning after the catch, and running the ball effectively. I think I expect them to run Miles Sanders more than they have in previous weeks. I think they'll run Jalen Hurts more than they have in previous weeks. And the Raiders' run defense has not been all that great this year. Their pass rush and that and that stuff has been better. But if the Raiders can stop the run, which they should do everything in their power to do so, they should win this game because I think they have objectively the better offense, an offense that could actually win down the football field. How good is Darius Slay? Very good. Darius Slay also joins PFS Richard Sherman podcast today. That will be a fantastic conversation. Wow. Darius Slay, still a veteran quarterback in this league, still a guy that you know, it's, a, it's such an experience-driven position, in my opinion, because so much of what you have to do at cornerback is obviously athleticism, but also short memory, recognizing splits. You know, I talked to Kyrie Elam of Florida and Ahmad Gardner of Cincinnati recently, two 2022 NFL draft prospects. When I asked them how much have they improved or where have they improved the most, what has helped their game, every single time it's knowledge of the game, it's recognizing formations, it's recognizing splits, and being able to have this pre-snap play recognition – that's what Slay has, and that's what will ultimately keep him in this league, performing at a high level until it's all said and done. Uh, you have three edge rushers of the Raiders in the top 50. Um, Crosby won. Of the three, Nassib and Gokwin Crosby, who, who keeps it up more? And I assume the answer might be one of the two not named Crosby because the B1 is difficult. Like, what do you think about these three guys right now? I mean, Crosby, not enough is being talked about with Crosby and how much weight he's added since coming from Eastern Michigan to the Las Vegas Raiders, you go back to that first phone call between Max Crosby and Mike Mayock. The first thing Mayock says to him is, hey, John Gruden's son or brother, I don't know who what Deuce Gruden is to him, but Deuce Gruden <laughs> is this crazy strength and conditioning coach. The biggest thing you need is to add weight and add strength. And he said, yes, sir, yes, coach. And he's added 20, 25 pounds since entering the NFL. He's also, I think, over a year plus in sobriety. That obviously has positive effects on your body. He has transformed 
what he looks like, his strength, his power, and all that, and that has led to a huge breakout year. I think it's the most sustainable. I think we are the number one Deuce Gruden show on the planet. Yes. Uh, we, this was a few months ago, but broke down him in the weightlifting championships in Florida. Uh, we love Deuce Gruden, and it is, it is his son because he is John Gruden the second. It's not John Gruden Jr. He's John Gruden the second, so he goes by Deuce. Ah, that explains the deuce. Yes. Uh, but yes, we, we appreciate any deuce screwed and mention on this show. And yes, Jared, to answer your question, he is still on the team. Yes. Still on the sideline. Yes. Uh, he's not going anywhere because he's important, apparently. He runs stretching every day. I watch it. <laughs> um, if you're the Seahawks, would you rather have Geno Smith or Cam Newton right now? Cam Newton. I mean, come on. <laughs> Geno Smith, Smith can keep the offense on schedule. And that's fine if your team is good. But their team isn't. Their defense is bad. Their secondary is worse. I mean, it's not a good football team without Russell Wilson. He you know, is single-handedly, in a lot of ways, keeping this team in games. And now without him, you need a difference maker at quarterback position, even if it's volatile, even if Cam Newton turn, turns the ball over more or throws more picks. You still need someone who can actually challenge the defense. Geno Smith is not doing that anytime soon. You need someone who has more talent right now to win football games if you're going to make up for the lost time with Russell Wilson's sideline. Uh, even if he's moved, the odds are they could put him on the list in terms of Deshaun Watson. Let's say they don't, though. Let's say he's moved and he's allowed to play and he goes to Miami. What would you expect from him? I mean, he's a massive upgrade over Tua Tungvaluwa. He's a massive upgrade over a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL. I think when on the football field, you know, he is a top three, top five quarterback in the NFL. He's in that Dak Prescott tier of quarterbacks. Like right after the top two guys, right after Mahomes, right after maybe Rodgers, Brady, there's that second tier of young quarterbacks in the NFL, Josh Allen, um, you know, Dak Prescott, Sean Watson, where those guys legitimately win football games and can lead playoff teams. I will say this. Miami Dolphins' offensive line is absolutely horrendous. It'll be the worst offensive line Watson's played behind probably in his career. That is obviously a factor, but I don't know if it's so much that Miami can't turn things around with Watson if he's obviously not on the exempt list, not suspended, et cetera. If Miami did trade for Deshaun Watson and Tua was on the move somewhere else, I'm curious, how do you compare him to the upcoming quarterback class for quarterback needy teams? Tua Tungamailoa has played well this year. He has not been a world beater. I mean, no, he's not vaulting into like the Justin Herbert tier where Herbert is obviously been, you know, in my opinion, the most successful quarterback from that class. I think Joe Burrow playing well as well, but I don't think he's even on Justin Herbert's there too, though, is not playing losing football and in a lot of ways has improved every single week this season. I think what he needs is some consistency, some confidence, some faith, and a better offensive line. You know, at, at Alabama, Tua Tungvaluwa is playing behind, you know, a top three offensive line in the country every year of his career there. Now at Miami, I don't even think this team would start for Bama. Like, this, this Miami offensive line might be worse than Bama's right now. That's how bad it is. So Tua, I think, is suffering from that. He is Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Austin, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Austin. Of course. Thank you. Quarterback class is uh, not the most appealing coming up. It's oh. like Malik I mean, Willis is the was, guy from Liberty is up there. It was supposed to be the beginning Spencer of the season. Rattler. Spencer Rattler. That guy's not even playing anymore. So that kind of tells you where the quarterback class is falling to. I mean, there's the Mordecai kid from uh, SMU. <laughs> and the only reason I want him to get drafted is so that someone goes, we take Mordecai. <laughs> Coming up next, the Dodgers are coming back to win the series. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Reed delivers. And that one is hammered to left. 
and it's on its way, and it is gone, a home run! Taylor loops one into center field, and it's going to drop in for a base hit. Pollock will score. Pujols holds at second base. The Dodgers lead 4-2, to two, and Chris Taylor has knocked in three. There's a fly ball to center field. Racing on back is Duvall, and it is gone! This night is TaylorMade. A 2-2, Taylor with a fly ball to deep left center field. Chris Taylor has hit his third home run of the night and becomes the 11th different player in baseball history with three home runs in a postseason game. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at 69187. Finley Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. Ed, do you believe? I have to, right? Scherzer and Bueller set up. I have to believe it. Oh, point. boy. I have to. I have to. Game five just crushed Max Freed. Get him out of here. All Chris, those tickets he bought for all his California friends. 60, 60 tickets. people. That's a shame. Come to watch him get lit yeah. up. Chris Taylor Shame. hits three home runs. Come on, Ed. All I heard last night, which I'm like cringing at, does you know, he's a free agent watching Kiki Hernandez <laughs> do what he's doing. So he's a free agent. So someone's going to pay him a fortune. Yeah, thanks a lot. He'll be gone. Someone, someone actually, it's funny. They will see what Kiki Hernandez has done because Taylor, when everyone's completely healthy, he's not an everyday player. So someone's, I'm sure, going to come at him and say, You'll be an everyday player, and he will probably go for the money, which he probably should. He's good. Chris no, Taylor's, he is. He's yeah, good. He's very good player. So, came back to win after being down 3-1 last year to this very same Atlanta Braves team. Granted, last year was in Texas in front of, like, seven fans. You got to go back to Atlanta and win game six and seven. But as you said, Max Scherzer and Walker Bueller. I don't – I mean – for anybody that's got to come back from down 3-2, I don't think you can put together a better two starting pitchers, right? I mean, probably you gotta, not. You got to feel Bueller good about hasn't that. been great. Uh he hasn't been great against the uh against the Braves, but probably not. No, I I mean those are the two you want. Uh you're right though. Last year much much different with with no fans. We'll see. I you know, have some confidence, Ed. Charlie Morton's really good in 7th games. So, we'll see. Oh yeah. He he's, did he did beat the Dodgers in game yeah, 7 no, of the World Series. That he's, was fun. He's He's uh he's good in game seven. He's good in game seven. <laughs> I like seven. that guy. You like Charlie Morton, don't yeah, you? Yeah, he started uh game seven of the ALCS yeah. in twenty seventeen against the Yankees and shut him out through five innings, and then he closed out the last four innings of game seven of the twenty seventeen mm-hmm. World Series. It's phenomenal. Great pitcher. Although you guys got to him a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Not much. First inning. Um I do have a <laughs> I do have a very uh, specific question. Uh, Bruce Dargratterall, who I've yeah, told you is I my favorite player on this team. Yes, lunatic. Uh, he threw two perfect innings, like 14 pitches to get yeah. through two innings. Guy's unbelievable. Throws 102 and it moves. It's it's crazy. Why did he hit last night? It had to be. There's <laughs> And they said it on the broadcast. There's no other reason than they didn't think Trinan would be ready. He it it had to be there. What else? Why would you put him up with a runner in scoring position, Bellinger in scoring position, and you bring him up? He he fouled off more than I ever thought he would. He fouled off like three pitches. I'm like, it, it actually wasn't a terrible at no. bat. And then they threw a slider, and he yeah. was like nine feet in front. He would, but he, I mean, he would dock dock. Yeah. I think I got it this time. So all right, so it had to be that. He throws. He throw. He gets two innings, which I imagine is. I, I imagine Doc Roberts wasn't planning on him getting no. two innings, but he only he took like. Six pitches in the first inning, and it was only 14 total after two. And it was like, okay, do you leave this guy in? And they send him up to bat, 
And you're like, okay, they're going to leave him in to get a third inning out of him. But then Blake Trinan came in the game. Gratterall didn't even stay in. And I, I could not figure this out. Like, A, you shouldn't be leaving him in the game with Bellinger on base and two outs. Like, you got to get no. a pinch hitter up there. But also, if you are going to p- use him to hit, why why wouldn't he start the next inning? I just, again. There's no, only one reason. And, you know, one of the announcers said it's because Trinan is hot and ready to go. And you don't want to, you know, obviously he doesn't. He's not going to, if he's ready, he's not going to sit out there and th- keep throwing pitches. There's, there's no other reason that they're like, someone called in and told prior. Okay. He's ready. I just, I don't know. It doesn't, I don't know why he would hit and then immediately come well, out of the game. I I don't know why Trinan, cause that was a fairly long inning. Cause Bellinger got on. It was a fairly long inning. I'd, and Trinan had been thrown before that. Cause they showed him in the pin. I don't know why he wouldn't have been ready. Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. how, how couldn't he, he can get up and get ready pretty fast yeah. in, in games when they're tied. Never mind when they have a huge lead. Just very strange. Dodgers win. They won in a blowout. So it doesn't, doesn't matter. Eh, but no, no Maxi, no Justin Turner. I'm, I'm not. Oh, come, come on. on. No. It was two minutes ago. Oh, you no just Muncie. said no, you were... no Muncie, no Justin Turner. You got just... Chris Taylor filling in four minutes <laughs> and three home runs. <laughs> Jesus. Hell, Be- didn't Bellinger have three hits last yeah, night? Yeah, he did. You know who else had three hits? Although a couple were punching Judy's to right field because they had the shift on. Uh, Trey Turner finally got some hits. Finally. finally did something. Almost took Mookie's head off on a line drive, by the way. That was really weird. Let's find out something real quick. Tyler, what is uh, punching Judy's? Yeah, no, no idea. idea. No idea. I don't have no a idea. clue. Well, okay. just think about it. The shift's on. And you probably, I don't know if you saw both, well, at least his first I mean, I, hit. I, you, I got context clues of to what the hits look like. Why right. is it called a punch and Judy? I got no idea. Punching. But no, but do you know what a punch and Judy show is? Do you know what the show is? Oh, God, no. What is okay. it? No, 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 no. It's, no, we'll, we'll not, you, we're not going to explain yeah, it. Yeah, we'll you, let you Google it at the break and yeah. go like, why would I know what this is? Oh, yesterday, but when you left, uh, I asked Jared this. Should I know who Jim Belushi is? I, I went with probably not. No, probably not. Okay. Jared said I should know John Belushi, which I don't know John Belushi. His, what's John Belushi's most famous movie? I, Animal uh, House, uh, Blue Jared, Brothers, yeah. SNL. Yeah, I can't SNL. Remember. No chance? No, I have no idea. No, well, you wouldn't have seen Animal House. No. I mean, it's because Jim I Belushi mean, House is something that, Don't you think even if you watch now, like, I mean, you'd yeah, enjoy Yeah, like if you not... went to college, you understand yeah, you Animal to College. House, you'd Animal understand House. Animal House. Listen, as I told one of our listeners, Vegas Rebel Drew on Twitter last night, I would rather find out how hilariously UNLV is going to lose than watch any movie. Way more entertaining. I believe that.